All right. And while those trays are being passed around, feel free to turn to someone near you, give them a high five, and say, here's to moms. Hey, welcome to Echo. We're so glad you're here. Mother's Day is such a great, great Sunday. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. You just, you, it makes you happy on the inside. All of us have moms. I know some of us, our moms probably weren't tremendous influences in our lives because, you know, people have weaknesses and flaws and whatnot. But I would be willing to bet that there is at least someone in your life that has functioned in some capacity as a mom whether you wanted them to or not, right? And so we're here to honor all people who serve that role, regardless. Um, it's fun, because as I was uh, putting this message together, I kept thinking about other moms that are in the Bible, and we're going to go into that in, in, in just a second. But this morning, uh, I received a text from my brother, and uh, my brother Seth lives in, well, near Bozeman, and so he sent me this wonderful text. He said, good morning, happy Mother's Day, I love you. And I said, well, I don't know if I've ever told you this before. I'm not your mom. So anyway, anyway he, he got me a little confused with somebody else. But, uh, but he'll get over it. He'll get over it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, the great thing about... The great thing about Mother's Day is you get to go out to a nice lunch. You get to give your mom gifts and stuff, and everyone gets all weepy and that kind of thing. But it also makes you reflect. And I have so many mom stories. It was hard for me to sort of whittle it down, so I'm just going to enter it this way. There was a time when I had a 1958 Chevy Del Rey. None of you know what that is because it was a very rare car. It was blue and white. It looked like an Impala but with less chrome. And it was 1958, so it had the dual headlights on each side. Anyway, I could go into this long thing. It had a 350 uh, under the hood, and it was amazing. Anyway, I was uh, driving it all over the place. Well, one time, I, uh, I went to school, and this uh, friend of mine comes up, and he goes, hey, I saw you in your car over by Rose Memorial Park. And I said, yeah? And he goes, yeah, who, who are you with? I started thinking about it. I was like, I don't think I was with anyone. He goes, yeah, you were. Come on. She had red hair. Who's the girl? And I'm all, my mom? <laughs> and... and <laughs> And he goes, no, no, this was like a young, red-headed girl. And I'm like, that's my mom. And he goes, and he's like, no, she was like cute. And I'm like, dude, shut up. You know, it's, you're talking about my mom. Anyway, I always remember that because mom was pretty young. She had this young way about her and everything. But if you could think of a word to describe your mom, what would it be? I mean, if you think about it, it's, kinda, it's a great question to ask yourself. How would you describe your mom? If you could sum it up in a phrase or in, in one particular word. And the word that I've chosen is champion. It has a double meaning, actually, or, or at least I, I apply it in, in two different ways. Obviously, she's a champion, like she's a rock star, right? But what I love about that word champion is with, with all the flaws that I have, and there are many, and all the weaknesses she was still able to champion who I was and to see the strengths and to allow those to rise to the top. So my mom was in our life and all of our lives com completely while we were, you know, growing up, primarily here in Missoula, right? And when we, were, when we lived on, uh, well, we lived on the north side for a while, and then we lived over on 7th Street. And there were certain things that were always a big deal. Halloween, 
Halloween was always a big deal. She would work so hard with her limited budget because my dad was a pastor, and you know how lucrative that can be. And, uh, and she would put together these costumes that were amazing. And I remember I had this one costume. I was the headless horseman. I had this big cape and everything, and I went around, and I was carrying a pumpkin. First door, I knock on, right? We knock on there. They open it up, trick or treat, and they're like, oh, what are you supposed to be, Darth Vader? I'm like, what? Is, there's no head. You know, it's like anyway, but my mom did the best she could with it. She always did amazing things. When I was in kindergarten, I went to my kindergarten class, and as we were about to have snacks, all of a sudden this ugly witch jumped out from behind the piano and scared the crud out of all of us. And we were, I mean, like some of them started to cry. And then I started to recognize, wait, that's my mom. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's just the kind of person that she was. And she would always come to my baseball games and she would, you know, sit right back there and I'd come up to the plate and I'd hear this distinctive voice with a southern drawl that said, hit the ball, darling. And I'd be like, anyway, <laughs> you know, but uh, there were so many, so many different memories that we have. She provided a home when we came home, right? Uh, one time I hurt her feelings because I said, why don't you have a job? We'd have more money. That was a bad thing to ask. And she said to me and reminded me at that time, aren't you glad you have a mom to come home to? Yeah, I guess I am. Wish we had more money, but yeah. I, I, you know, but, you know, I mean, that's the kind of home we had. These are the things I want you to reflect upon. These are the attributes that I hope you also can think about. And if it's not necessarily your biological mother, then who is it that has had such a tremendous influence in your life? Abraham Lincoln said these words. He said, all that I am, all that I hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. And the, and the Bible itself speaks many times about the qualities of a mother. In Proverbs, we always use Proverbs 31 to describe the qualities of a good wife. And if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can turn there. Proverbs 31, all right? Guys, I recommend that you read Proverbs 31 because you can see the kind of woman that you're looking for, right? Um, this is how it starts. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him. Here are the words. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. But listen to how he des she describes what a good wife would be like. In verse 14, she's like merchant ships that brings food from afar. She rises also while it is still night. She gives food to her whole household, portions to her maidens. She's not afraid of the snow. For her household and all of her household are clothed with scarlet. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Today what I'd love to do is to go through the different moms of the Bible. All right. So we're going to look at these these women in the Bible and they have these different attributes that I'd like to to, to discuss with you. And so I'm, I'm going to blast through a lot of this because I have there, there was a long list that I had and I narrowed it down to six. OK, but that's still kind of a big list. And so we're going to dive in. The first one has to do with this one particular woman. Her name was Hannah. Now, Hannah was a woman who. Um, uh, now, now, remember the times that we're talking about. These are Bible times, but she was one of two wives, okay? Uh, it was married to a man named Elkanah. And this was in the, uh, what they describe as the hill country of Ephraim in this town, in this place um, 
near Shiloh. Now, Shiloh, if you've ever been over to Israel, is just above uh, Jerusalem, all right? So it's right above uh, Jerusalem, what would be modern-day West Bank. And uh, the wife of Elkanah, he had two wives. One was named Penina. There was Penina. And then there was Hannah. Now, Penina had children. She was capable of having kids. But Hannah had no child. And because of this, Hannah became extremely sad. Because she wanted to have children. She wanted to enter into this world of what it means to be a mother. Not only that, but because she had no, no, uh, no children, the other wife, Penina, would always ridicule her and make fun of her. And it became so bad that Hannah would often weep and weep and weep, and her husband, Elkanah, would come up to her, and he would try to console her. He was very sweet. You know, he would say, listen, listen, you still have me? You know, like that carries some merit. Aren't I worth more than 10 sons? She wouldn't answer. She'd just keep crying, you know, that kind of thing. But she was stricken with all sorts of grief. And she had this type of grief. And so they would go and they would make um, their uh, trips to Shiloh because they would visit the high priest. Now, his name was Eli. And they would do their offerings once a year. And they would go to Shiloh and they would go to the tabernacle. And, and when they would get there, Hannah would find herself constantly crying and weeping and crying out to God about her situation. These are the words in 1 Samuel 1, verse 9. It says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh, and Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was greatly distressed, and she prayed to the Lord. And she just wept bitterly. And she made a vow. Now listen, she made a vow. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him back. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come on his head. What's she talking about? When he talks about this razor that's never going to come on his head. In other words, it's a vow. It's specifically called a Nazarite vow. It's this idea that under the vow, you would not cut your hair. Now, it came about in verse 12 that as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli, the high priest, he's watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And he says to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine, woman. You know, it's like insult added upon injury, right? And she proceeds to tell him, I'm not drunk at all. My heart weeps bitterly because I want so much to have a child. And she she explains this to Eli. And of course, as she's explaining it to Eli, his heart begins to soften and he realizes, you know, I've misunderstood the situation here. And you know what he does? He blesses her. He blesses her. And he and he proclaims that may God bless the request that you have. Later, we would find out that she does give birth to a son, and uh, the son would be named Samuel. Of course, now she has this kid, but what did she promise before? That she's going to give the child to, the, to God. And so what she plans to do is to take Samuel and to bring him back to the tabernacle and give him to the priest, Eli. But only after he's weaned, so she gets to enjoy this beautiful little baby at least for a while while he's just an infant. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? All of you moms in the room, can you imagine saying this, promising this about your kid? 
I mean, it's one thing when your heart is breaking inside of you and you're at that point where you're like, I would do anything for a kid, right? And some of you have perhaps been there. But then to promise God, if you give me one, I'll give it right back. Well, the time came when it was time for her to give that child back, and that's exactly what she did. She, she uh, and, her, and her husband Elkanah went back up to Shiloh, and they gave the child to Eli and returned um, that child to him. And he grew up. He grew up as this little, <laughs> eventually as a, you know, as, as a prophet of the Lord. And he would have what's called an ephod, which is like a royal priestly robe. And she would sew it for him. It would say in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it would say, Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy, wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe. And she would bring it to him from year after year when she would come up with her husband to offer their yearly sacrifices. And the priest Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one that she's dedicated to the Lord. And they went to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and to two daughters. So what do we learn? What do we learn? Is it wrong to desire something so much? You know, it's one thing when you see people who are pining over the things that they don't have. And I know my natural inclination is to say, well, look at what you do have. Be content in the things that God has given you. But is it really wrong for us to desire these other gifts that God would provide? Of course not. And if you're a mother and you're yearning for a child, I think what we see in this story is that God would bless that. Is that there is contentment to be found and peace to be found in knowing that God is our one provider and that he has given you all that you need, but at the same time, to wish for things so that ultimately you would then bring glory to him, God will listen and God will provide. But I love the, the amount of love that Naomi, or <coughs> that Naomi shows. Sorry, not Naomi. I'm looking at my next notes. Now you know who the next one is. Uh, <laughs> the love that Hannah shows in the sense that she is putting who first? God above. Even that one special child that she has. And my prayer is that you, all of you moms, I know how much you love your families. I know how much you love your kids. But my encouragement to you is this, is that you still place God above all, all else. The second person, you'll never guess who it is. It is a woman that we find in Ruth. And I'm going to read just the first part of Ruth for you. It says, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, there was a severe famine that came into the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. So he's leaving this this promised land because the famine is so severe. And he took his wife and he took his two sons with them. So th these are children of Abraham is what they call them. You know, it's, it, these are Jews essentially, but Israelites, they are leaving and they're going into Moab. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. So Elimelech and Naomi went into Moab and their two sons were Malon and Kilion and they were Ephraim. Ephrathite, oh my goodness, I knew I was going to mess this up. They were people from Bethlehem in the, uh, in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And when Elimelech died, Naomi was now a widow. She had her two sons. The two sons did marry Moabite women, and one married a woman named Orpah, and the other named a woman named Ruth. 
About 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. So this left Naomi alone without her sons at all. So she didn't have a husband anymore. She didn't have her sons anymore. What she had were two girls who were not even really her daughters. It was her daughter-in-laws. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So she hears that the famine is over. So her idea is that she will return back down probably to the land of surrounding Bethlehem, I'm, I'm guessing. But at this point, she's saying to her daughters, listen, there's no reason for you to stick with me. You should go. You should find men of your own. You should start families of your own. You have your whole life ahead of you. You don't need to be caring for me any longer. So please go on your way. But the bond that you see between especially Ruth and Naomi is incredibly strong. We read these words in Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Ruth said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. I mean, it's like I almost get choked up reading it because there's such a strong bond that she's saying everything that you have is what I have as well. And you have to ask yourself, why such a strong bond? It's her mother-in-law for crying out loud. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it just like that. It's her mother-in-law. It says that Ruth left her actual parents. In, in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verses 11, it says that she left her biological mother and father and family to stay with Naomi. Isn't that interesting? Where does that kind of a bond come from? The other thing I want you to pay attention to are the words that she says, your people shall be my people, but also your God shall be my God. Remember, Ruth isn't one of the Israelites. She's not part of the promised nation that we read about. She's surrendering. She's saying, whoever you're worshiping, I'll worship them too. And I'm amazed at the bond that you see there between mother or mother-in-law and Ruth. And the actions that Ruth has and the promises that she makes, are they exemplify this fact. It doesn't matter if it's your biological mother the one who calls herself mom, whether it's your, the mother-in-law or someone else, and that, that connection occurs, can be so powerful that a person would be willing to sacrifice all, even their own biological family. What's interesting is that God allowed Ruth to actually remarry. It's a beautiful story. Read the book of Ruth. It's very short. She marries a guy named Boaz. They do have a son. His name was Obed, and that became the grandfather of King David. So because of Ruth, the lineage that would eventually lead to Jesus Christ is established. Third mom. This is, um, <laughs> this is, a, this is an interesting one. You may not have, have ever thought of this particular one. In, in Romans chapter 16, you have uh, Paul who's writing this letter. Um, and he's, he's writing the letter specifically to Rome. And you'll find this in the New Testament. Uh, and if you don't know anything about Romans, I encourage you to come to our Sunday afternoon Bible class. It's called Saga, the, the Saga of God's Pursuit of Us. See how I'm putting a plug 
Uh, yeah. So Sunday afternoons at, at one o'clock, there, uh, we serve lunch and we have a Bible study and that'll be this coming Sunday as well. But at the end of Romans, at the end of Romans, Paul is signing off on this letter. It's an amazing letter. And he's obviously addressing it to all sorts of different people because you start to read, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. And greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Ananicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. It keeps going down this huge list. And then he gets towards the bottom of this list in verse 12. Greet Tryphania and Trophosa, workers in the Lord, and Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord, and greet Rufus. What a great name. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. Well, scholars talk about this. What is he talking about? His mother and mine. Is he saying, greet Rufus, greet Rufus's mom, and then also greet my mom? No. No, he's saying, greet Rufus, greet his mother, who is also, what? Like a mother to me. So who are we talking about? I mean, there's some interesting questions that, that we start to ask. Where did Paul meet Rufus's mother? And did she walk with him through some serious illness? I mean, what's the relationship? What happened? You know, Paul's a busy guy. Did Paul stay in her home during one of his missionary journeys? Um, how did they form such a close bond? It's interesting because this man named Rufus, you may actually know of more than you think. The man who carried Jesus' cross. Do you remember this? Not long ago, we, we talked about Easter, and Jesus is carrying his cross, but he couldn't do it by himself. The humanity of who he was just could not allow him to carry that cross any further, and he needed help. And so they pressed into service a particular man named Simon, Simon of Cyrene. Well, according to Ellicott's commentary, Simon of Cyrene is described in St. Mark's Gospel as the father of Alexander and Rufus. And tradition holds that Mark is writing from the city of Rome, so it's very likely that the son of Simon of Cyrene happened to be Rufus, who Paul is now saying, make sure that you give a greeting to. Which, if you think about it, his mom then would be the wife of Simon of Cyrene. How interesting. But what I love about it is this. Is here's this woman, not related at all, once again. And I have to tell you, it, um, it, brings, to, it brings to mind a number of things. Um, you know, I worked in Childbridge for a while. Uh, for almost a year, Childbridge is an organization that helps foster adoptive families. And it was a bittersweet job because I love the hope that you find in people. But there are so many kids that do not have parents. And it's not that their parents have died and passed on. In many cases, it's that their parents have literally surrendered their rights and no longer want those particular children. And it creates all sorts of different problems, especially as they grow and they work their way through adolescence. And so here's my spot where I just applaud those of you who are willing to stand in the gap. Now, you may know that I um, became a CASA back in early February of this year. I kind of wanted to keep my toe in the water because now that I'm working as, as a pastor in this particular church full time, right, I can no longer do child bridge. 
but I still wanted to stay connected in some small ways. And what's great about being a CASA worker, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate, is that you're given one child that you represent, and you represent their best interests. And it doesn't require a lot of time. And I was given a particular kid whose mother and, and also himself would continually get high on meth before he would go to school. The counselor herself told me it was like that Peanuts comic book character, Pigpen, who would come in and you'd see the cloud of dust, only it was like the smell of meth all around. And they were powerless to do anything with it. Later, she would be arrested and put into prison. And I'm not going to go into specific detail. I certainly can't. But right now, today, he's visiting his mother, who's in prison, and he's excited to do so. But the backstory that you may not know is this, that there was another woman who found him in a park because he was homeless. And she took him in. Not only does she provide the meals for him and give him a place to live, not only does he have a family that he can call his own, she's taking care of his dental work. She's taking him into the doctor and taking care of all of his ailments that he has. He has glasses because of her. And for the first time, he's seen what his social security card looks like. She has completely become the mother of, of, of who he needs. So I just want to say right now, if you are considering standing in the gap and becoming that person, it's of incredible importance. And right now, I also just want to say, and I don't know where you are, Jen. Uh, well, there you are. Well done. Whoa. Because of what you do and the sacrifices you make and being the mom that you are. Because I know your girls probably don't call you mom, but you're the mom. Just give her a round of applause or something. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, Jim. <clears throat> Let's move on. Mom number four. <laughs> so this one's a horrible, horrible story. Ready? Here it goes. There was once a woman named Rizpah. I was going to see if my dad suddenly was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you probably never heard of her. She was a concubine of King Saul. And it's min she's mentioned twice. First, as a concubine of King Saul. The second time comes up a little bit later. King Saul was a king that was ruling over Israel. Later, he would pass on and David would take his place. And there's a lot of drama that went in between all of that. And there's so much drama that there are other people, Paul and Saul's sons, trying to take the throne and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But as that throne began to shift power, David became the king. And he... Um, <laughs> While he was reigning as king, primarily the northern part of, this, of the kingdom, Israel was struck with a famine. So Israel gets this famine. G David immediately recognizes that this might be because of the hand of God. And he's not sure why there's a famine, but he wants to find out. So King David goes to the people who are in that area where the famine happens to be, which are called the Gibeonites, and he speaks with them, and he finds out that there once was a treaty that Israel had with this foreign people called the Gibeonites. It's a great story. It involves all sorts of things. But there was a, yeah, yeah, there was a treaty that was established where Israel was not allowed to lay a finger on the Gibeonites. They were protected as far as anything's concerned. Well, it turns out that Saul had massacred a number of the Gibeonites and broke that treaty while Saul was king. And because of that, God looks at these things with such importance that he then allowed Israel to suffer the results of that broken treaty. 
Because a treaty and a vow is made something that's in the presence of God. It has to hold true. Are you following me so far? And so David finds this out. And he's like, all right, well, what needs to be done? And so he asks the, the Gibeonites, the ones who are remaining, what needs to be done? And the Gibeonites say this. They say, we know that you are a good king, and we know that you, unlike all other reigning nations, when you took the throne, you didn't kill off all of the offspring of the previous king. It's common practice, right? Because David's merciful. But now they're saying, we want that blood. So the Gibeonites say, you must give to us at least seven of Saul's offspring, right? His sons, his grandsons, and we're going to kill them. All right, now this is Old Testament times. So David says, well, I mean, that's what it takes, fine. And so he offers up the protection that he'd given to Saul's kids and to his grandkids, and he gives seven of them to the Gibeonites, two of which happen to be the offspring of Rizpah. Rizpah and Saul, you know, and then they had kids. And so now they're giving those particular kids. Do I have to connect the dots? And so they have to give those particular kids to the Gibeonites to be offered up. And this will appease the wrath of God. And that's exactly what happens. The seven kids are then given into the hands of the, of the Gibeonites, and they're hung from gallows. And because of their death, God now sees that Israel's remorseful for the fact that it broke that vow, and God's wrath is raised. The famine goes away. But Rizpah, this concubine, I mean, you got to think of what she's feeling at this time. So what does she do? She goes, well, I'll just read it to you. Second Samuel says this. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, Ar Armani and Mephishbosheth, whom he had born to Saul, and the five sons. And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together, and they were put to death in the, put to death in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. But Rizpah, the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and she spread it for herself on a rock and from be the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night in other words she stayed with her kids and even though it was shameful she would not allow anything to touch those kids and so she would always shoo off stuff, all these animals and everything else and try to preserve them as best she could, even though it was a sign of disgrace. But look at the persistence and love that carries on within a mom like Rizpah. And people took notice, including King David. And when he heard of this, he began to think to himself, these were still the offspring of God's anointed King Saul, and they deserve something better than to be picked apart by wild animals. And so he had all of them cut down, and the bodies were given a decent burial, the right kind of burial, a burial with honor because of the actions of this woman Rizpah. And I include that story because of the persistent love that you find in a woman like this. Rudyard uh, Kipling, who wrote the uh, Jungle Book, he wrote this poem, says this, if I were hanged on the highest hill, I know whose love would follow me still, mother of mine, mother of mine. If I were drowned in the deepest sea, I know whose tears would come down to me, mother of mine, mother of mine. And if I were damned by body and soul, I know whose prayers would make me whole, my mother of mine, mother of mine. Mom number five is a woman named Salome. 
Now, some of you may know who Salome is. She's this woman who danced and essentially was able to get John the Baptist killed. But there was another Salome in the Bible, and that's who I'm referring to. This particular Salome was a disciple, followed Jesus Christ. In fact, she was at his crucifixion. In fact, she was one of the ones who went to anoint his body with, with spices. Who is she? Well, Salome was most likely the wife of Zebedee. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 56, we read of the mother of the, the disciples, James and John. This is Salome. In Mark 15, verse 40, we find that she was one of the, present, the women present at the crucifixion, just like, just like I said. But in Matthew 20, you read these words. It's an interesting little story. Matthew 20, verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, who later would be called sons of thunder, by the way, uh, came to Jesus with her sons and bowing down and, and making a request of him. He said to her, this is Jesus, said to her, the mom, okay, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. Right? And she probably, you know. And Jesus answered, and he said, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And of course, James and, uh, James and John said to him, well, we're able. And he said to him, well, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. But isn't it interesting? It's the mom who comes forward, right? Now, I've had this situation happen so many times, especially in youth ministry. It usually sounds like this. So, I hear you're taking the kids on a ski retreat, and sixth graders can't go. My kid's a sixth grader. <laughs> you know, it's like you can kind of see where this is going, you know, and, and it's this idea that, hey, my child's going to do the things that I'm, I'm wanting my child to do. It's gonna, they're going to have the same opportunities as anybody else. In fact, even more opportunities, you know, it's that mama bear mentality. How many of you have ever heard of a papa bear mentality? No, it doesn't exist, right? Papa bear's over there like picking grubs and stuff, you know, <laughs> feeding himself. Mama bear wants what's best for her cubs, and I love it because you see it and you get that sense of it right here. And she's at the foot of Jesus for Pete's sake. She's like, now, listen up. You're going to have two people sitting, one on your right and one on your left. You're going to be my boys. You know, it's that kind, of a, that kind of a mentality. And I love that. Moms are fantastic about that. They go overboard with that. But you know what? I got to tip my hat to all you moms. I encourage you, keep moving forward as a mama bear. Get what, get what you believe is, is best for your kiddos. And then the last one is this. It's uh, number six, obviously, you probably saw coming, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, there's so much I could say about Mary, and, and, and I would try to avoid that particular temptation. We all know who the Virgin Mary was. We know that, uh, um, that she was the mom of, of Jesus Christ. And, you, and there is a part of me that wishes that I saw how Jesus grew up. And I go to the Apocrypha and I think, you know, oh, that would, there's some great stories in there, I'm sure. And I wish I knew more about that relationship. I've told many of you that you can see just a snippet of how Mary was always close to Jesus, but also how she felt about her son and perhaps even his obedience under who she was as his mother when you see the first miracle. 
the one turning of water to wine. And, I, and I've talked about this so many times, but I, I went ahead and just, uh, I'm giving you the verse anyway. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. But the wine ran out, and the mother of Jesus said to him, Son, they have no wine. And Jesus, he knows, he's like, Woman, what does that have to do with us? That's literally what he says. And he goes, my hour has not yet come. You know, it's like wink, wink, and she's wink, winking at him. She's like, you know what you're capable of? Yeah, but it's not yet time, you know, that kind of thing. And she doesn't even argue. She just leaves, and she turns to the servants. Do whatever he says. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) You know, it's like... He does it, you know, even though he specifically says it's not yet time. The sway of a mother like like Mother Mary. Unbelievable. But then you go to the very end to the cross in John chapter 19, standing by the cross of Jesus as he hung there were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalena. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his, his mom, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. He's dying on the cross, and it is such great concern that somebody take care of his mom. And it speaks volumes about how important motherhood is. What do we learn from all of this? What do we learn as we explore six different examples of motherhood we learn this that i don't know why mother's day wasn't invented long long ago it's only a recent holiday but it's very appropriate to have a time where we have a tribute to all of the moms and all of the ones who aren't necessarily biological moms but still have tremendous influence over the lives of children around them the highest tribute let me just say this The highest tribute, the best thing you could do for your mom isn't necessarily to get her flowers, although she'll love that. To make her a card, she will love that too. It's not necessarily to take her out to a nice meal today, but you're probably going to do that anyway, right? The best thing, the highest tribute you could give is to become the legend that she lived for. It's to have the attributes that she fought for, that she was persistent of, the things that she did all night and all day to make sure that she was growing up that one child that was going to be who she knew he or she could be. That's the highest tribute you could give to your mom. And so with that, I'm just going to say this. Mom, thank you. And uh, I hope you have a tremendous Mother's Day. We have a video to show you, and then I'm going to close with prayer. She is a godly woman and is full of joy and patience that he has planted deep in her heart. Hey mom, I have a story that I actually told my boys recently. Uh, happened back when I was in the sixth grade. We were going back to school shopping, and I remember there was this pair of red high-top Converse shoes that I really wanted. That was kind of a trendy shoe at the time. Just growing up, uh, me, me and my cousin, we always sort of got in the crazy situations. 
and uh, one day she was talking to me about it and she asked if I had any common sense at all because we kind of didn't act like we had any and I remember my, uh, my response was uh, we have plenty of common sense but we just choose to ignore it and I don't think I've ever seen her laugh so hard and then look so worried at the same time. Hey mom, happy Mother's Day. Um, thank you for your support, your love, you're the best. We found this pair of red high top Converse looking shoes, but they weren't real Converse. But at the time I was fine with that and we bought them and we went home. Well, when we got home, I got to noticing that there were three things that were not the same as Converse shoes. Converse shoes have a black line that goes around the toe and Converse shoes have a, a star on the side of them and Converse shoes also, of course, have the word All Stars written on the back, a little white tag. And the knockoff shoes that we bought didn't have any of that. And so I decided that I am not going to wear non-Converse shoes, that everybody would notice that and it would be so embarrassing. I remember back when we lived in Haver when I was so set on being a cowboy and you would always give me rides on your back like you were the the bulls or the bucking broncos or whatever it may be. Whenever me and my sisters would used to fight in the car, my mom would always say, we're turning this car around and we're not going there. And she never did. So that one time that she actually did turn the car around spoke big to me and my sisters. Hey mom, when I was younger, I wanted to know how I could become beautiful like you. And you told me I had to eat my boogers. So I did. And yelling, just hit it in the bleachers when I was up to bat during baseball. I, was... I remember when you helped me learn to first ski. I got into the ice, I was a little wobbly, and I used those little things that you can hold on to, and also I used the wall. And then you got me into skating lessons, and now skating is one of my favorite memories because of you. Thank you. Thank you, Mom, for being my mom. But I guess I really didn't have a choice because I was birthed to you and, you know, decided to keep me. But I guess it's okay. It's good. So I refused to wear them, and I remember we went back and forth and argued about it, and I ended up going to bed um, upset and disappointed and, and determined not to wear those shoes. Well, the next morning, went into the kitchen, and there sitting on the counter was this pair of, of red high-top shoes. And I got to looking, and they had a, a black line that went around the toe. Um, they had a perfect star on the side of them, and they had the word All-Stars just in perfect font uh, written on the back. Of course, I also noticed that these were still the same red knockoff shoes that I refused to wear. And I realized that what happened is that you had stayed up late that night, with a, a black Sharpie, and you made those knockoff shoes into real Converse shoes. Hey mom, I just wanted to say that I love you and I thank you for always being there for me. And do you remember that one time you taught me how to fly fish? I just really think that's cool and I want to go fly fishing again sometime. And happy Mother's Day. You always encouraged me to spread my wings and fly, even though I think you would have rather me stay in the nest. Thanks mom, love you. Well, because of me, you now pee when you sneeze. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mama. Um, I hope that I keep looking like you, even if we don't have matching dresses. 
I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for all you've done for me. Uh, so just thanks, Mom, for uh, always looking out for me and uh, taking care of me. I turned out all right. Thanks, Mom. And I'm sure it killed your knees, but I appreciated it every single time, and I absolutely loved it. Thanks, Mom. So thank you, Mom, for showing me the value of fulfilling your promises. I don't think I ever thank you for that. Looking back on it, I thank you for that, Mom. I thank you for all those moments that you stayed up late and all those moments that we don't even, we're not even aware of just to make your sons as happy as they could be. So thank you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. you bow with me gracious God father you've given us a tremendous blessing in the parents that you have provided for each and every one of us and Lord I thank you so much for the mothers that we have and may each of us continue to uh, to dwell and to think on the ones who have shaped our lives and Lord um, there are some of us that this this particular day brings us a measure of pain I ask a special blessing on those that perhaps that relationship with the with their mother is not is not strong. But help them to re realize and to recognize and to see. The ones who are around them who continue to lift them up and then also help those people to also have the grace and the love to still love the mom that um, that they have. And to have patience. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for our kids, for the children that we have. I thank you for the church that we have. I thank you for, I'm going to throw dads in there too. Thank you for the fathers as well. May this day be a special day to all of the moms in the room. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you go with each and every person uh, as we continue to celebrate. Thank you for all things, most of all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Oh, flowers. Yes. All right, we have flowers to pass out to all the moms. And so our kids doing that. He's a bigger man and a better man. All right, don't forget you got your we got flowers for you each. We rise up when we hear the sound.